All right, so what we're going to be talking about today is hope. And I have to kind of start with telling you how just, even just in the last few days, how uh, God has challenged me with where my hope is. And I went to, uh, my mom's brother died uh, last week, and uh, we had to go to a, I had to do a funeral service, a memorial service for him. And my family is, they're not people who fear God. They have no relationship with God. They, they just, um, they, they only gravitate to God or want to hear about God at times when there's a loss, at times of grief. And, and this was one of those times. And it's, it's difficult. I mean, I see my family and I love them and, and care about them, but they're just hopeless people. They really have no hope. And it really makes it, it, there's a difference between people who have hope and people who don't have hope, especially in eternal things. And, and on top of that, after we left the funeral yesterday, my son Zeke, who's been on antibiotics for a, a cold and an ear infection, broke out in hives and swelled all up. And uh, so my wife, who is uh, with him today at the, the doctor's, and uh, so even, even through this, trying to get up here and teach this message without my wife there who usually nods at me and tells me yes or no to help me, <laughs> I have to be hopeful even more to God through this and also in concern for my son. So if you guys could pray for my son, Zeke. Uh, he's never had an allergic reaction to anything before, so this is kind of new, uncharted territory for us. But. So, <clears throat> again, good morning. You know, I just want to tell you all how much of an honor and a blessing it is for me to, to be up here. And I want to thank you in advance for your faithfulness to hear God's word, regardless of who's delivering it. You guys show up here. You know Rich has been out of commission for a while, and you guys still show up here. So that shows me how faithful you are to hear from God, not from me. It is all about him. It's not about us who attempt to, to teach his word or to preach. We have been thrown a curveball right here at Calvary Green Meadow. Our pastor's been sidelined. I'm glad he's here today, but he's been a little bit out of commission for a while. <clears throat> and, you know, for a time, we're just we're doing the best we can to keep at it. And God is faithful um, through all this, and he's raised up some willing, capable men to step up and teach. So thank you to Jim and Justin and Norm and Patrick you guys, you know, you really raised the bar, and I'm going to try to meet that standard, so thanks. i gotta, I got to pray again, all right? So I hope you guys don't mind. God, uh, thank you again for this opportunity, Lord. And you know my heart and my mind, and you know that my mouth usually doesn't get out the words that I want to say. So I pray that you would speak through me, Lord. I pray that your people are here to hear from you, and that you would bless them, Lord, that um, they deserve to hear from you today, Lord, and not me. And I pray that they would. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Most of you guys have been around for a while. Some of you haven't, but... You know that we do this annual event called the Festival of Hope. 
So I thought it might be helpful that as we start to prepare for that coming up in a few months that we would all have a better understanding of what hope is and why we have hope. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. 1 Peter 3, verse 15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with weakness and fear. So Peter here is saying that we need to have, be ready to, to give an answer for the hope. If somebody says to you, why are you so hopeful? Then we should be able to understand what hope is and be able to explain it to people. So we're gonna, I'm going to try to help us understand that better today. So as Christians, hope separates us from this lost world. And it's not just because we have a better hope or we have a greater ability or capacity to hope. The lost people of this world hope too. They, they, they can put their hope in things as well. <clears throat> what separates us is where we put our hope and where the world puts their hope. The separation between us doesn't stop there. It also has to do with an understanding of the word hope or how we define the word hope. For Christians, hope is confident expectation. It's a certainty of something that just, uh, just hasn't happened yet, but will happen. The lost, the lost understand hope and uses the word hope more like wishful thinking. There's no certainty, no confident expectation, and they say things like, you know, I hope I get the job, or I, I hope I make it on time, stuff like that. I hope I don't get a ticket, even though I got pulled over for speeding. Stuff, you know, that, that's how the world uses that word hope. And I know that sometimes we as Christians even use that word that way. Um, but the lost world applies that word hope to matters of importance, to, to big, important things. And we, we as Christians cannot put our trust in things of this world because the things of this world will fail us. A hope founded in wishful thinking or chance is not secure, it's not comforting, and it's not fitting for us as believers. Hebrews 6, and we're going to go there in a few minutes, but Hebrews 6 says, Our hope is an anchor for our soul, securely fastened to God's promises, to Jesus, to his completed work on the cross. And that hope that we have as believers shapes the people we are every day, not just for our eternity, although ultimately that is our hope, that we will spend an eternity with God because of what Jesus has done, and we put our faith and trust in him, and we have peace with God, and we'll spend eternity with him. That, that's our ultimate hope. But our hope isn't, doesn't end there. For our daily life, it shapes us. It, it, it makes us who we are, or at least it ought to. It ought to be evident in our lives that we are hopeful people. <clears throat> Hope can bring blessing to our lives now as we face the struggles and difficult things of this world. Our hope is not the only thing that makes a difference or separates us from the lost world, but it is one that can really set us apart. Our hope in God directs our lives. It shapes how we think, how we speak, and how we act. And it can bring peace and comfort in this chaotic world. So what we're going to do is this. We're going to explore biblical Christian hope, or hope in God. We're going to compare it to worldly hope in a broad general sense, you know, hope in things other than God. And then I'm going to speak to one specific issue that this world faces today and how there is really only one hope for them, for us in it. So first, 
we're going to look at biblical Christian hope, how we can understand it better and how we can, uh, how we can define it. If someone asks us, like uh, Peter said in uh, 1 Peter. Do you, know, do you know that hope is mentioned 129 times in the Bible? Most often, but not always, it's referring to hope in God, in God alone. Um, although it's not always directed at just hope in God, sometimes it's just used in some random kind of sentences to define or to from hope in somebody or a person. Um, the, the definition of hope, or the way we can define it, from Webster's Dictionary. This is an older version of Webster's Dictionary. and uh, I'm going to read that. The definition of hope. A desire of some good, accompanied with at least a slight expectation of obtaining it, or a belief that it is obtainable. Hope defers from wish and desire in this, that it implies some expectation of obtaining the good desired, or the possibility of uh, possessing it. Hope, therefore, always gives pleasure and joy. Whereas wish and desire may produce or be accompanied with pain and anxiety. What hope do we want? I I know I want a hope that brings pleasure and joy as opposed to one that brings... uh, pain and anxiety. Another definition is confidence in a future event, the highest degree of well-founded expectation of good. Those are older definitions from Webster's Dictionary, and this is a new one. This is how the world has redefined hope for us because of how they use it. To cherish a desire with anticipation, to want something to happen or to be true. There's no mention of any certainty in that definition. There's no mention of expectation. There's a big difference in just 200 years of how we define that word. Turn to Psalm 16.9, please. Psalm 69 says, Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. There the psalmist talks about hope, how it can bring joy and rest. You know, our hope in God can remove stress, can bring peace, and and remove worry and fear. It's the opposite of of fear and, and stress and fretting about things. When we put our hope in God, the psalmist says here that we can, we can have joy and we can sleep. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I like to sleep. So. Psalm 31, 24. Next, please. Psalm 31, 24 says, Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. There the psalmist brings out that our hope in God um, can strengthen us, can bring strength and courage. And we need courage to face the challenges and battles we face in this world. Our hope can help us conquer fear and weakness. So it it can 
It can be, we can rest in that hope, we can be strong in that hope, we can be courageous in that hope. Those are what hope in God afford to us. Now we can turn to Hebrews 6, please. I'm not very tech-savvy, so I apologize for not having the slides and all the verses and stuff up there. I know it makes it a lot easier for us, but I'm actually just trying to stall for time because i got 45 minutes to fill here, and <laughs> if I give you guys time to read your Bible, you know. You think I'm kidding, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good. <laughs> Hebrews 6... <clears throat> Verse 19 says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. That's the first part of, of verse 19. Now, what the author of Hebrews is saying there is hope brings security and stability. An anchor is something that's kind of immovable. Right? It protects us from being swept away by the worry and the fear and anxiety that this world has for us. And that is what the world has for us. Our hope in God is an anchor. Now, what ties us to that anchor are his promises and his ability to keep them. Our God likes to make promises. Does anyone want to guess how many promises there are in the Bible? Who said 3,000? Dave's pretty close. 3,573. Um, one person's count. Some people say over 5,000. But that's a lot of promises to make, right? I try not to make promises myself because I know I'm, I'm, I'm miserable at trying to complete, uh, keep them. But some of these I mean, so we're going to look a bit at God's promises and some verses about those and... Um, so we're going to be flipping around our Bibles a bit here, okay? So these promises that God makes go all the way back to the beginning. So turn to Genesis 3. Genesis 3, starting in verse 14. Now this is after the fall of man. This is after uh, Eve was tempted by the devil, and she had given into temptation, and this is the results of that. This is God's answer. This is what God says to the, to the participants in this story. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and before your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And that's a promise that God's made to our enemy, that he will be crushed. Then to the woman... He said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your, and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And that's a promise God made to the woman. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil... You shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it brings, brings forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. And the, sweet, and the sweat of your face shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you shall return. 
And that's the promise to man. Now, some of those promises that God made just in Genesis 3 there have already been fulfilled. Some of them are yet to be. And that's one of the things about God's promises. But some of those things are true for us today, right? I mean, I, don't, I can't speak to being a woman. I don't know what that's like. But I know for a man, you know, some of these promises that God has made are true for me today. By the sweat of my face, I have to earn. You know, work is not a pleasant thing for me and, uh, and for mankind. And it's hard. Work is hard. It's supposed to be. And that's part of God's promise. Now, those are all bad promises. You know, those were all promises he made in, in like a negative way. But God made 3,573 promises. They're not all bad, but some of them are. He made some good ones, too. He made promises to Abraham that he uh, multiplies descendants as uh, many as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore, and that he will make a great nation out of him. He made promises to the Israelites. He made promises to Moses. Promises to Joshua, promises to Samuel, promises to David, promises to some of the kings, to the, prof to the prophets. Promise after promise after promise in the Old Testament. I don't have a breakdown of how many Old Testament prophets there, uh, promises there were as opposed to New, uh, New Testament pro uh, promises. But we're going to look at some New Testament promises now. So turn to John 3.36. This is a good promise for us that God has made for, uh, for believers. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now, that's a promise that's both good and bad, right? <laughs> I mean, for us, for those who put their belief in him, um, eternal life. But there's also a promise in there that's a warning, that if you don't, you face wrath. Wrath is upon you. Let's turn to James 1.5. James 1.5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now that's an awesome promise, right? Especially for me as I was trying to prepare for this. Uh, I asked God for wisdom, and I, I hope he answered me. I hope he gave me some wisdom to share his word with you guys. But there's a promise there that if you lack wisdom, just ask God and he'll give it to you. Move over, uh, move to James 4, 7. James 4, 7 says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And there's a promise from God that if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. As we're facing struggle and temptation in this life, if we resist, the enemy will flee. How about 1 John 1, 9? First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And get there, God's promising to forgive us. He understands that in this world we're going to mess up, we're going to screw up, and we're, going to, we're still sinful people, saved by his grace through faith in Jesus, and that we will sin. And he provides a way for us to be right, made right with him again uh, and forgive us. 
And we need to confess it. That's a promise from God. Romans 10.9. This will be the last one. We don't have time to go through 3,500. And... Although I'd like to... What? Oh, I'm sorry. Romans 10, verse 9. Actually, back up to verse 8. Start in verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now that's probably the epitome of all the promises that I can go over right here, but... And I just wanted to go through some of those promises to remind us of some of the promises that God has made to us as believers, to us as the church. And some of these promises are available to people who aren't saved um, to get right with God, to be saved. And that, so that's a sample. But like I said, he likes making promises. Now, what is God's track record for keeping his promises? I think it's, I think it's yeah, I think it's pretty good, right? Why can we hope in God's promises, confidently expect God's promises? And what? Because he's God, God, right? And because he's able to 100% of the time complete and keep his promises. Now, when someone makes a promise to us, some questions have to go through our mind, or they should, right? How able is this person to keep this promise? So in this case of God, I mean... How able is God to keep these promises to us? I I suppose that's a fair question. God, you've promised me this. You've promised me that. Can you deliver? Are you able to keep those promises? So I want to look at a few verses that speak to God's ability to keep promises now. Why we can put our hope in him unequivocally. Proverbs 21 You don't have to turn to this one, I'll just read it. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. God has control of even our leader's hearts, even our leader's motivation. Just like he moves and directs the rivers, he can move and direct our leaders. That speaks to God's ability to to intervene and to work according to his own will and purpose in people's lives, even our leaders. I do want you to turn to Job 38, though, please. Most of you guys are, I'm sure, familiar with this section of Scripture where Job is questioning God, kind of giving attitude to God here, and this is God's response to him. And I don't know about you guys, but I just love this. I love thinking about my God like this. And this is God's answer to Job. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched a line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstones? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band. When I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors. When I said, this far you may come, but no further, 
In here, you, in here your proud waves must stop. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but like, that's the God that I want to recognize every day. You know, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I get distracted. Sometimes I forget. Sometimes I, I wonder. I almost ask that silly question that I was talking about before. God, can you really complete your promises? I need to be reminded of this like constantly. This is my God. My God says water stop, and the water stops. He tells the, you know, the clouds to bring rain. He raises the sun, sets the sun daily for us. I mean, that, that's my God. When he makes a promise to me, there's, there's no way that he can't complete it. There's, there's, there's nothing that could stop him from being faithful to keeping that promise. Hebrews 1.3, you don't have to turn there, um, says, Who, being the brightness of his glory, speaking of Jesus, Jesus, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged us and sat down on the right hand of majesty on high, so not only did he create all those things, not only does he have control over the hearts of man to perform his will, but he, he's upholding all things. It's not like he set it in motion and then took a step back. He's actively involved in how all this world is acting and taking part right now. That's the God that makes promises. That's how able he is to keep the promise he makes. Nothing is beyond God's control. He created and upholds it. Things past, things present, things future. He's sovereign. The sun rises and sets at his command. What promise couldn't he keep? How able is God to keep his promises? That's, like I said, it's a foolish question when I keep in mind some of those uh, sections of scripture that, scripture that we just read. See, I told you English was my second language. I haven't figured out what my first language is yet. When I do, I, I'll try and let you know. We need to keep that in mind. We need to keep how sovereign God is in mind. He's completely, unequivocally capable of keeping his promises. Now, can any of us say that? Can anyone in the world say that? Can any system in the world say that? We fail miserably at keeping promises. I can speak to myself especially in this. Yeah, I've made plenty of promises that I keep haven't kept, so much to the point where I try not to make them anymore. It doesn't stop all of us from trying, though, does it? It doesn't stop all of us from keeping promises. Knowing our own track record, uh, we still try to. There was a time in my life where I made promises all the time that I didn't keep. I was unable, or unable, I don't know how to say it, but uh, inability doesn't stop us, doesn't stop the world from making promises. Can we put our hopes in things of this world, whether people or systems or leaders or politicians even? We have to look at some of the things that they promise. We have to think about what is their track record and what is their ability to even uh, keep some of these promises. So this is the second part of what I want to talk about um, and that's the world's promises and, and putting our hope in things other than God. And I think we can break promises down into two main categories. <clears throat> and I call them promises with good intentions. And I'm going to try to explain that. I've made promises that I was unable to deliver on. 
I meant to. You know, I didn't have any ulterior motive. I tried to. But circumstances beyond my control, beyond what I could calculate or accommodate for, kept me from keeping my promise. I wanted to keep them. I made a good effort to keep them. Maybe even my best efforts at times. But I was completely unable to do what I promised. Just by whatever, circumstances or my own inability to perceive what may get in the way of the promise that I made. Well-meaning promises. This is what I, you know, goes along with good intended promises. <clears throat> We're not unfamiliar with those, right? We make them. We mean well in our promise. We make them. People make them to us. Our politicians and leaders make them to us all the time. How about all the celebrities that promised to leave uh, the United States and move to Canada if <laughs> Trump became president? Well, they're still here. So, promises. But to be fair, we, we were promised that we'd have a wall, and we don't have a wall yet. So I'm, I'm not picking political sides here. I'm just saying promises are made that they're either unable to, I, I think good intended promises at times, but just no ability to actually follow through on them. That's, that's one kind of promise that we make and the world makes. <clears throat> I believe that in some cases these promises are meant, you know, they mean full well to, to keep them. We mean full well to keep them but just really are powerless or unable to keep them. So that's one kind of worldly promise or our kind of human promises. The second is uh, promises without any real intention to keep. Has anyone made any of those? What do you call a promise that you don't intend to keep? A lie, right? It's just an outright lie. These promises only serve to advance some cause or agenda. Like to get, get people off your back. That was a lot of the times I made my promises that I had no intention to. Like, I promise I won't do that again. I promise I won't. Get, what are you laughing at, Mike? What's so funny about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, little kids make promises. I promise I didn't do it. I promise I won't do it. <clears throat> Excuse me, do it again. That really no intention of keeping that promise. It's just something you blurt out to get people off your back. <clears throat> These promises only serve to advance some cause or agenda, like, like I said, to get people off your back. When false promises, and this is just kind of on top of that, but when false promises are not kept, what's then added to it? More lies. The promiser makes excuses or blames or Someone else, uh, you know, blame someone else for not being able to keep the promise or attempts to redirect the focus of it. And we see that a lot in politics. If you watch the news, I mean, that, that's what's going on a lot of the time. It's just they made promises, they couldn't keep them and to just, to just get, the, get the, the press off their back or the Congress off their back. They, they're trying to skirt the issue or redirect the focus of it, right? <clears throat> These kinds of promises are just forms of deceit, forms of manipulation. They're lies. Can we put our hope in promises that people make in this world? I mean, if you look at them like that, with, even if they're good intended, they still don't have a 100% success rate, or they could just be a flat-out lie, 
with no intention of keeping it at all. People are either unable to follow through or they're liars. That's the best you're going to get in this world. <laughs> we can't be very hopeful in that. So to better illustrate this, I'm going to talk about, um, like I said in the beginning, like three points, um, and I'm going to. Sp this is one specific issue that. Um, I'm going to use as an example to, to better illustrate kind of what I've been talking about. I want to talk about an issue that affects so many of us, so many people in this world, and maybe even some of us in this room, and that's drug and alcohol use and abuse. I know I talk about this a lot. Most of you guys who know me know that this is like my topic, my thing, because I've gone through it for many years. I was stuck in that place of sin and bondage to, to drugs and alcohol for a long time. <clears throat> so, again, when I have this opportunity to get up here and talk, I'm, I'm going to talk about it. <clears throat> this is a serious thing going on in our country. Like I said if you, before, if you watch the news, I mean, Congress has been having like whole, I don't know what, sessions about it, talking about this, like the overdose epidemic, and I mean, they're using words like epidemic and uh, the, the proportions of which have not been seen before, things like that. But people are dying all around us in this country, right in this community, right in this state. This isn't some far-removed problem. This is something that, that hits us right here in Rhode Island, and maybe some of us closer than others. These people that are dying and destroying their lives and the people around them who love them and care about them. That's really the, probably the saddest part of it all. You know, when I was stuck in my drugs and drinking and sin, it was sad. I mean, people looked at me and I'm sure they felt bad for me or whatever, but I was killing my family. That was, the people who loved me were being hurt worse than I was hurting myself. And that's just sad. And that's what's going on around us today. The people we buy coffee from in the morning. Chances are, if you, if you check the statistics, like one in four people is on drugs of some kind. I mean, there's four people working in Dunkin' Donuts. Chances are one of them's hooked on something. The people that we drive next to in the street, people we work to, whether they're, being a, they're, whether they're using or abusing drugs and alcohol, chances are that at least somebody they know and love is if they're not the ones using it. It's huge numbers. It's crazy. And I know, probably more than most, that it seems like a lost cause. I was a lost cause. And maybe for most of the people, that we, it, is, it is a bit of a lost cause. It doesn't seem like there's really any hope in it. It is certainly a lost cause if we put our hope in man or in man's systems and promises to solve this problem. It's a foregone conclusion. What's the track record of this world being able to keep its promises? Not very good. Now, like I was breaking down the world's promises before, we can still we can apply that to some of the promises that the world makes about drug use and alcohol. Some of them are good intended, good intentions, mean well. Others, it's just a flat-out lie. 
They, have, they, they know it's not going to work and they're just doing it to make money or to keep people from God, which is, you know, apply a, a scheme of the enemy. Some of the things I wanted to talk about for a second in this was how the faultiness of the system that the world has put in place to help combat this problem of drugs and alcohol. First of all, calling it a disease right off the bat is a problem. In the same way that hope, as I read from Miriam Webster's dictionary from the 1800s, talked about hope in one way and then only 200 years later it's completely redefined. In the same way, calling drug use, drug addiction, alcoholism, all those words a disease is wrong. It's a problem. What does is, what is the Bible call alcoholism? Drunkardness. Sin, right? Doesn't, that, doesn't calling it alcoholism or addiction kind of sanitize it, make it a little bit easier to stomach? You know, nobody wants to say, hey, you're a drunkard, hey, you're, a, you're an idolater, because that's what actual drug addiction is. You're putting drugs in a, in a place of worship and glory that is a place that's only for God. The whole system is broken because the, the people who formulate the plans to, to go again or to, to fix it or combat it are getting their information from people using drugs and alcohol who are known to lie. I, I, I was a liar. I was the biggest liar of all. And I tell you what, as soon as somebody saw me as somebody with a disease instead of a, a junkie, I owned you in my head. I owned you. You thought I was a victim and you had sympathy on me, and you were mine. Don't buy into that world system. Don't put your hope in that system to help any of this, or to fix any of this. They make a lot of promises, and the sad part is their promises are just ridiculous anyway. They don't promise to, that you'll, uh, the, the drug addict, or the drug user, or the, the alcoholic will be free. They, they promise that they'll have some kind of manageable life, be able to somehow be productive in society. That's the best that the world has to offer. We'll, we'll, we'll make your life manageable for you if you follow these simple rules. It doesn't get to the heart of the problem. It fixes the outer man. It's the inner man that's broken. And it's just brought out in many ways for many different people, but for people who use drugs and alcohol, that's how it's brought out. That's a, that's a, it's just a, um, a symptom of a, of a diseased mind and heart against God. That, that's the disease part of it. It's more of a condition, just a sinful, broken condition. There's no hope in this world, in the world systems, to help this epidemic, in their words. There's only one who makes and keeps promises faithfully, and that is God. God promises that he will give you a new life if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. New life, a new heart, a new mind, new way of looking at things. The God that makes that promise is the same God that I talked about in Job, the same God from Proverbs and Hebrews who sustains, created, guides and directs the hearts and minds. That's the God who makes promises to drug addicts and says, look, I can give you a new life. You can be free. That's the God that makes that promise. That's where our hope needs to be. <clears throat> He is the hope that drug users and drunkards need. He is the hope 
that people who love them. So if you know somebody who's struggling with this, there is hope. It's not in the world. It's not in yourself. It's not in the promises of man. It's in God and God alone. You need to continue to pray for that person and share God's truth with them every chance you get. That's their only hope. Started off in 1 Peter 3.15. It says, be ready in season and out of season for the hope that we have. Well, be ready in season and out of season. There's enough people out there that we just talked about that you are going to run across them. Don't shy away from them. Don't think they're a lost cause. Share the hope that you have with them. Somebody shared the hope that they had with me. And I'm a different person now. So, all right, that's it. Let's pray. God, again, we just uh, we come before your throne of mercy and grace, and thank you so much, Lord, first of all, for this new life, Lord, and for changed lives, Lord. And I thank you for the new life that you've given me and the freedom that you've given me, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that Rich was here to, to be with us today, Lord, and just the healing and the, uh, that you're bringing to his body, Lord. I pray that you would just continue that work, Lord. Lord, and I pray that you would remind us of your ability to keep your promises, Lord, and that we could truly, fully hope in you and you alone, Lord, that when the things of this world seek to draw us away and put our hope in them, I pray you remind us of how great you are, Lord, that you're the God who tells the ocean to stop, and it stops, Lord. Lord, and I pray for people here, Lord, who might not know you, who might have not made that choice to surrender their lives to you, Lord, and be cleansed and be healed and be made new. Lord, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be uh, penetrating their hearts and helping them understand the urgency and the need for a right relationship with you, Lord, so that they would know what true hope is to Lord. I pray that you just help us to be about your business here in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.